you know, in, in Oscar and Sebastian and kind of setting them up with these, these, these two kind of different figures who are one is older and one is younger than them. I, I was really kind of interested in, in exploring something that's very personal to me, which is what it feels like to belong to this, this kind of generation of gay men who was, you know, too young to have any lived experience of the AIDS plague, right? Like it's, it, it's, it's all, it's just history to me. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't lose any friends or any lovers. I mean, I, I was alive at the time, but I certainly was too young to fashion my identity as a gay man. Um, and then on the other hand, I, I, I was born kind of too, too early to really take advantage of, you know, I think things that, that in, in a lot of places in this country, um, you know, gay and, and, and queer teens can, can now take advantage of, right? Like, um, you know, gay student, queer student unions and- Please don't stop the music. Hi, welcome to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room's Pride Month Book Club interview. Of course, when it comes to a book club interview, I am joined with the one and only Mary DePippi. Hi, Mary. Hi, Andrew. I love our book club interviews, and especially for Pride Month. Yes, we feature a lot of LGBTQ plus authors, but the novel that we're going to talk about and the author we're bringing on truly, I think, features all of the elements of pride when it comes to sexual politics, gender politics, questioning what it means to be a gay man in society, having divergent opinions. Um, okay, a lot of authors too, and tracing that genealogy of LGBTQ literature. So without further ado, I don't wanna you know, hold everyone in suspense and tease them for too long, like some of the characters in this novel do. Uh, we are joined with Zach Sala. So Zach Sala lives in Washington, DC, is coming, Zooming with us from Washington, DC. And his novel is primarily based in Washington, DC. So I feel like, Zach, you should have some kind of DC sponsorship or at least promo uh, with the government. So without further ado, welcome Zach. Thank you so much for coming here, Zach. Hi, oh, thank you so much for, um, for having me. This is a, a real treat. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, well, so I just want to, you know, bring up to you. So let's get back to the party is Zach's novel that we're discussing for our Pride Month book club. Yes, Mary and I are now, oh, the three of us are now showing yeah. the book. It's also, it's also in paperback, so. Oh, yes, yes. Didn't it just come out in paperback? Uh, February 1st. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it takes about a year, right, for a hardcover to go into its paperback form? Yeah, yeah. My understanding is, yeah, about about a year, a year and a half, I think. I, I'm sure there are so many other, like, publishing secrets that I'm sure there are so many calculations that go into that. But, but you know, I think it's, yeah, it's about a year, roughly. Well, so. and not only is your novel now out in paperback, but I couldn't mm. believe when I read your bio, and yes, Zach has been published by Crazy Horse, Foglifter, I love these uh, magazine names, The Millions, The Rumpus, oh, and he's written for the Los Angeles Review of Books, but mm -hmm. Let's Get Back to the Party is actually your debut novel, which when I read that, I was very shocked because- oh, That's very kind of you to say. Yeah, it, it, it is, it is. It's, it's my, my first book. Um, I've only been writing fiction, I think, for the last maybe six or seven years. I took maybe a, a, a 10 year break from writing for, for various reasons, I think some of which were career oriented, some of which were, were psychological. But I think, yeah, it's only been in the last seven years that I really committed myself to, to writing fiction, I think, which is what I always wanted to do. But again, for various reasons, I, I, I prevented myself from doing that. And, and, and in a strange way, you know, I felt like I had to come out as a writer, you know, in, in terms of, of self-identifying as a writer, as someone who, um, you know, uses language to think about the world and, and, and to try to understand it and, and, and perceive it. And, and that being a writer didn't necessarily mean that I, you know, had to have been writing nonstop for, you know, um, my entire life, but that, you know, it's, it's in many ways, it's, it's a vocation too. So, yeah, so long story short, I, I came out, quote unquote, as, as a writer. And then, 
you know, everyone, I guess, you know, when you, when you come out, right, the, the, the stereotype is that everyone has their slut phase. And so I guess in my slut phase of, of writing fiction, I decided to just write a, write a novel. And, and I had had this story kind of just brewing in, 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 in my head for God years without having sat down to, to write a word. Um, and then, yeah. And then I, I, I just kind of did the hard work of, of, getting to it. I mean, so much of writing is just pure labor. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's these, these kind of lofty notions about art are, are very worthwhile and, and certainly very true, but there is still a, a, a kind of like a, a digging your hands in the mud aspect about it, right? You can theorize all you want about building a fence, but eventually if that fence is going to get built, you have to be chopping wood and, and, you know, hammering nails and things like that. So yeah, Ozone, so, yeah. I know it with my dissertation. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know. Oh, me yes. too. Me and Mary knows as a creative writer. And yeah. um, well, and just because with the Pride Month um, content, it hasn't come out yet, but there was an interview um, that I did, and it's a book called A Queer New York by mm -hmm. Jack uh, Geisking. And your book and Jack's book were in the Manhasset Barnes and Noble. Shout out to Manhasset, Long Island. Um, oh. and it was for the 2021 Pride Month display. Mm -hmm. And I am curious, I picked up these books during the pandemic, but mm. your book comes out in 2021. What was it like having your book come out in the pandemic? Cause I feel you kind of, maybe 2022 is your year of publicity. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's very sweet of you to say. You know, coming out, um, oh my God, coming out, listen to me, publishing uh, during, during a pandemic. Um, I, I think having been published in 2021, I, I, I had the for good fortune, I guess. I, I mean, I, I feel like the books that really kind of for lack of a better term suffered were those that published maybe during the summer of 2020. Um, I think when publishing companies were still trying to, to wrap their minds around, you know, how we're going to market a book and how we're going to sell a book and basically build a book, um, you know, when so many of these traditional kind of outlets were, were, were kind of cut off. So I, I, I did have the good fortune of by, you know, by the winter of, of 2020 to 2021, um, you know, things were kind of, you know, it was understood that a lot of events, most, you know, my events would be virtual that a lot of mailings and, and arcs and galleys would be sent out as, as digital copies instead. Um, so I, I, I kind of had, I kind of knew, I think a little bit what to expect. I think selfishly, I'm, I'm an introvert. So it was kind of nice to be able to do a lot of the publicity from my desk and wearing like sweatpants. And then when it's over, just turning off my computer and, and rolling off downstairs to watch Bob's Burgers and, you know, not have to, um, <laughs> not have to schmooze. It was secretly very, it was very, um, yeah, it was, that was, that was kind of nice and pleasant. Um, but I still feel like even, I, you know, I, despite publishing during a pandemic, I still feel like I hit all the traditional kind of, I don't know, all the boxes that you would expect from a debut novel, I feel like were, were checked. I, I, you know, I got physical copies. Like I, I did technically, you know, read at bookstores and, and had people attend. And I've since had the good fortune of going to a couple festivals and signing books. And, you know, I've had strangers message me and I've had great reviews and I've had a couple of really shitty reviews. And I feel like, so every kind of traditional experience that I think other writers who publish outside of a pandemic, I, I think in, in many ways, I still got all of those. And so I don't feel like I was necessarily robbed of much. And, and you know, it's hard, like we're talking about it during a pandemic, there's so much real suffering that's going on in the world that, you know, just because, you know, I didn't get to, you know, speak at a bookstore uh, before a live audience, it seems like a very kind of minor thing to, mm. to complain about. But yeah, that, that was kind of what my experience has been like. Now, speaking of experiences with publishing, I'm always curious about this answer because it seems like some people, some authors have a lot of input into what their cover photo is and some don't. I am obsessed with this cover. I love like the tears of the glitter coming down, the expression on his face, his eye, everything. Yeah. I love it. How much input did you have with that? 
I, I had zero input and that's not because I wasn't asked. Um, they certainly, they, the, the thing, great thing about working with the publishers in, at Algonquin is, is they were very open to kind of my ideas about what a cover would, would look like. Um, this is the first cover they sent me to look at. And, and it's one of those covers that, like you said, it's just so striking that it was, there was just no need to see anything else. There was no need to, you know, I, I, I had zero complaints. And I mean, shout out to, to David High, the, the, the designer who, who designed the cover. It's, it's just, it, it, it manages to do that thing where, it, where it's nothing like what I had ever envisioned, but also being everything that makes sense. Um, and I think it does exactly what any book cover should do, right? It gets you to, to pick it up off that table and, you know, and everything else is, is unfortunately my responsibility. But as long as like the book is off the table and in your hands, um, I think, yeah, I think this does exactly that. It's just, it's, I'm so fortunate to have just such a, yeah, such a great cover. It's very striking. And I have, mm -hmm. I have no idea who this very handsome man is. Um, See, I, I thought it was you. I thought it was like, this is <laughs> Zach's younger self, or maybe mm -hmm. this is Zach himself modeling. So no, this isn't Zach. In the no, corner. this is this is not me. In all my years of crying, I have I have yet to cry glitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think um, you know, I was saying to Mary when we were chatting about our different approaches with the interview. I'm like, okay, I don't want to reveal too many spoilers, but there uh -huh. is a lot of discussion about glitter in mm. the novel towards the end yeah. with um, you know, a friendship that develops and then starts to sour. So I know we'll get to that when we start digging into the plot, but I think something I am curious about because Mary brought it up with the cover and I'm so glad we're talking about it is- um, My thoughts how, on glitter. Well, none of the, yeah, your <laughs> philosophy on glitter. Uh, <laughs> I, I fucking hate it. <laughs> oh, you don't? I mean, I, glitter is a very messy substance. It gets, <laughs> I, I don't want to derail the interview, but it gets, everywhere and I just can't I can't stand it did <laughs> you know that there is a service where you can send a literally an envelope filled with glitter to someone you don't like <laughs> that's what and that's what it's marketed as send it to someone you don't like they'll open it all this glitter falls out you've ruined their day oh I'm wow. so glad you don't have my personal address <laughs> <laughs> but and what's so never funny send to, that to you like I actually think this Kantian philosophical discussion of glitter is, I don't know why I picked Kant, but I'm <laughs> sure some philosopher who's discussed glitter and its essence, um, but it really gets to the heart, I think, of this conflict with Pride Month with the two central characters, Oscar yeah. and Sebastian, which is glitter is everywhere at Pride Month. I mean, I've marched in New York City Pride. I've attended it a lot. Um, I've gone to the Philly Pride. My parents actually went with me to Philly Pride, which was fun. But my mom was busy flirting with the weatherman, Adam Joseph. Shout out to Adam Joseph in the Philly area, who's like, has a husband. I think Mary knows him, but um, not personally. I don't think Mary has a personal. <laughs> but um, what's so funny is there is glitter everywhere. And it's that kind of confetti celebration. But it's a very surface level celebration and doesn't necessarily get to the heart of injustice with LGBTQ individuals or, you know, different races, social classes. And I think we have two very different characters, Sebastian and Oscar. So like, do you want to lay that out for us, Zach? And to those listening who haven't read your novel, how would you describe your two central characters? Yeah, they're both, um, they're both gay men in their mid to late thirties. Um, and they live in Washington, D.C. They're estranged childhood friends, so they haven't seen each other for 10 years. Uh, the book begins in the summer of 2015 after the Supreme Court marriage ruling, and right on the heels of that is a wedding, and that's where they meet. Um, and then they spend the, yeah, the next year kind of flitting in and out of, of, of each other's lives and, and, and trying to connect and failing to connect and, and, and also realizing, I think, just how different they are as people and, and is having a shared past, is, is that enough to kind of overcome their kind of wildly different perspectives um, about what it means to be gay or what it means to live an authentic life? um as 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 a gay man and so that's kind of that's 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 at the heart of the story and 
and at the two characters of the two characters and um yeah yeah i mean oscar is definitely because i mean i hate to say i like one over the other i feel like sebastian is the type of guy who's like all right we're staying in we're not going out. Let's, yeah. let's stay home, watch a movie, drink some wine, relax. But then Oscar's the one you want to go out with. Or if you need a good laugh, that's <laughs> you go to yeah, Oscar. Yeah. And, but I love so, that contrast of these oh, two very different characters. Right. And and that was there from the start of the book. I mean, I, I was really interested in, in, in what it would be like to kind of take two people who kind of live on on kind of opposite extremes of, of an admittedly very diverse spectrum mm. um, and, and and kind of put them together. And, and, and I wanted to tell a story about two gay men and I, I didn't want it to necessarily be about them falling in love. I was more interested about what happens when you put two gay men together who actually in, in some way and in ways that maybe they can't articulate hate each other's guts. I mean, what would, what, what, what kind of story would, would come from that? I mean, those stories are, I think there's certainly stories that interest me. Um, and so that was kind of really the, the, the idea behind having them be so kind of, you know, occupying these very, these very um, kind of extremes of, of, of kind of perspectives about heteronormativity and, and, and marriage and, and sex. Um, and, you know, you just want you to throw them together and, and, and you just kind of see what happens and, and some, I think some 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 crazy things happen. Things that I certainly didn't expect when I I set out to to write the book, and then in writing it, you know, you as as I'm sure you know, you know, you just sometimes you just kind of go where where the story takes you, mm. and um, and yeah, it just seemed a, a very kind of fruitful idea for a book that wasn't necessarily maybe a, about falling in love, even though even though I, I would argue that love is in some way, you know, at the heart of this book, but maybe just not in in, in, in a way that maybe I or, or other readers might kind of traditionally expect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and I was messaging Zach um, on Instagram, my favorite, my favorite platform for messaging people um, about how this, your novel reminds me of this blend between not quite the queer meditation of call me by your name and does not have that, well, actually it does have the teenage adult aspects but mm. also it's more than that like it's not just the teenage adult love infatuation which there were times where i'm thinking sebastian be careful i'm afraid this is heading into the teacher falling for his student who's come out i'm like uh oh <laughs> but um then it also really has these echoes of so many other writers that you reference, or you have um, Oscar and Sebastian reference, and then bringing in Sean, I thought was such an interesting moment where you actually bring in a prolific gay writer from the AIDS um, period. Yeah. And I think this is the first novel, I mean, maybe I've read another, but it's the first novel where I actually remember an author, like a book within a book, like we're literally reading Sean's book as, Oscar is discovering Sean's literature. So yeah, like what inspired that? Yeah, well, I, I wanted each of these characters to have a, a, a kind of generational foil, right? And, and, and so there is Oscar who kind of has this very unhealthy obsession with, um, as you said, this writer named Sean Stokes, who is, is kind of a very, very well known for writing these kind of very uh, intensely erotic kind of ethnographic studies of, of gay life in, in, in the 70s and 80s, and then also of during the plague years, um, but has kind of, you know, you know fallen out of favor um, as, you know, writer, it tends to happen, I think, with some writers later in their career. Um, but Oscar kind of views him as this kind of patron saint of a, of a time when, when being gay was a little more messy. Uh, a little more radical, a little less compromised and kind of, you know, uh, accepted, right? There's kind of a, for, for him, there's, there's, there's a kind of dullness in, in kind of equality, like the, the, you know, homosexuality being, you know, kind of less illicit, I think. So anyway, so he takes a very romantic view of, of these stories and this lifestyle that, that Sean lives. And then, on the other hand of the spectrum, there's Sebastian, who's the art, who's an art history and English teacher, 
in high school and also has his own unhealthy fixation with um, a 17 year old student of his who, as he says, has has been out since the womb and, and someone for whom, you know, that kind of lived experience of 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 being out and, and you know, being gay as a teenager is something that was denied him. And, and you know, in, in Oscar and Sebastian and kind of setting them up with these 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 two kind of different figures who are one is older and one is younger than them, I, I was really kind of interested in and exploring something that's very personal to me, which is what it feels like to belong to this, this kind of generation of gay men who was, you know, too young to have any lived experience of the AIDS plague, right? Like it's, it, it's, it's all, it's just history to me. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't lose any friends or any lovers. I mean, I, I was alive at the time, but I certainly was too young to fashioned my identity as a gay man. Um, and then on the other hand, I, I, I was born kind of too too early to really take advantage of, you know, I think things that, that in, in a lot of places in this country, um, you know, gay and, and, and queer teens can, can now take advantage of, right? Like, um, you know, gay student, queer student unions and, and the kind of increased visible, visibility of, um, of, of, of gayness and, and queerness out in the world and, and in popular culture. And so, you know, you, you kind of feel like part of this liminal generation. And, and, and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of happiness to be sure, but, but happiness doesn't interest me as, as, as a writer. I think I was more interested in, in these kind of toxic emotions, right? This idea of seeing people who had it better than you um, and, and, and thinking, well, good for you, but, but what about me? Um, I think that's, you know, that's, that's a very toxic emotion, but I think it's a very, mm. it's a very human one. Um, and, and so that was, that was kind of why that feeling was what I tried to capture and kind of engineering the setup with, with Oscar and Sebastian, and then having these kind of conflicting relationships with people who had lives that were, that were very different from theirs and, and, yeah. you know, desiring that and, and, and not so much desiring someone physically, but I think desiring the life that they lived or, or the experiences that, that you didn't get to have. Yeah, yeah. And I just realized I forgot to say the other novel that it reminded your blending. I'm like, well, there's Call Me By Your Name out there. But oh, so the other was Dancer from the Dance by Andrew mm -hmm. Halloran. And when you like created Sean as a character, I could definitely tell you were kind of hearkening back to Andrew Halloran, Edmund White. Um, I don't know, even I guess Larry Kramer in a way with yeah. like the deeper like AIDS or even Tony Kushner's Angels in America. Like, so it's an amalgamation. It wasn't, I did read one of your reviews. I'm not gonna bring it up, but someone like said, oh, and he brings in Edmund White as Sean, um, wait, Sean, yeah. his last name again is- Sean who? Stokes, yeah. Stokes, yeah. yes. And I thought it's not just, like when you create a fictive character, it's not just basing it off of one living author. like it's a whole blend of probably who you've been inspired by, Zach. Yeah, I mean, I, I fashioned Sean to be a contemporary of those, of those figures and those writers who I admire. Uh, um, they are not based on, I mean, look, people are free to, the, the book is theirs. People are free to, to read it and, and interpret it however they like. But, you know, to me, he was just meant to be an effective contemporary of theirs. Um, I, I don't know any of those writers personally, so I didn't feel... I didn't feel like I had permission to to write a kind of cipher of them. So it's, you know, he's really just a, a kind of Frankenstein figure. And in fact, is actually much more inspired by a friend of mine who's not a writer, but a, a civil servant oh. um, than, than any particular um, particular writer. But, you know, you, you, you write about a famous gay author and, and, you know, of course people are gonna make assumptions and, and make connections. And, and if I were an outsider reading this book, I'd, I'd, I'd do the same. So yeah, so I, I, I don't get, it doesn't bother me that people assume I'm writing about a, a, a particular writer, but the, the, the truth is it's, he's really just uh, cobbled together as, as I think most characters are. Yeah, so you haven't heard from Edmund White personally is what you're getting I, No, I did. I <gasps> met Edmund Ooh. White. I had the pleasure of actually, we were on stage together down in Key West at the Key West Literary wow. Festival. Wow. Um, he, uh, he liked my book. Um, he, he said it was polished and I just, I wanna get that blurb, you know, polished period, Edmund White. Hmm? Um, but he, but he, he, he did say, um, 
yeah, I really liked your book. I just wish, well, I guess this is a spoiler. Um, That's fine. But he's just like, I wish I didn't have to die so young. <laughs> and then, yeah, you know, of he's course, like, like, oh, you know, How old oh, is he, Zach? it's not you. It's not you. It's not you. Um, but yeah, he. Yeah. he seems- Wait, how old is he, Zach? I think he's in his early 80s. One never oh. asks a lady, but I, I, sus- I think he's in his, his early 80s. Yeah. Okay. How wonderful to have that experience with him. It was, it was, it was quite the experience and just such a, just a, a, a very charming human being and, 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 but, you know, understandably a, a titan of, of gay fiction and, um, or, or literature in general, um, you know, cause he writes about so much more than, than, than just gay life. Unlike, unlike my author. Um, yeah. So if, 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 if I never publish a single thing again, at least like, Hey, I wrote this book and I got to go to Key West and, and hang out with Edmund White and yeah. And the quote is polished. Um, and the quote, but... is, quote is polished. That's going to be my tattoo. And now let's yes. lambast those critics who gave you negative review. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Edmund White said I was polished. <laughs> exactly. That's all you need. And that's exactly. what keeps you going with writing, right? Is yeah, you're part of that community. But, okay, it's, it's, it's um, part of the we're community. good. We're good. I'm gonna <laughs> leave. I'll leave the literary views section now. <laughs> All right. Now we talked about Sean. I want to get into Sebastian and Oscar because we've already discussed that they are very different. Um, what was your process coming up with these very two different characters? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I, again, like I said earlier, I wanted them to be so different. And, and, and I, 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 I personally, as a writer and as a reader, love voice and structure. Um, so part of that, the difference between these two characters, I, I, I really, you know, um, informed how the book was written and how it was built, right? So there were alternating chapters from each of their perspectives. Um, but even the way their voices are radically different, even down to the way the text appears on the page. So Sebastian's sections are in these long kind of blocks of, of, of prose. There's no quotation marks. Um, I really wanted to create a sense of, you know, here is a guy who is basically trapped in his own head and is basically building a wall around himself brick by brick. Um, whereas Oscar, who's the complete opposite of Sebastian, right, is, is very kind of superficial and surface level for a majority of the book, um, you know, const- like a shark just constantly having to move and, and, and can't stop because he'll, he'll die. Um, you know, that was kind of a, a quote unquote more traditional um, way of, of writing, right, with quotation marks and, and kind of short, crisp, crisp sentences and, and just very kind of I don't know, the prose for, for his sections to me really kind of needed to be very spiky, um, if that's maybe a, a strange word to say. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I just, they had to be different in, in every way imaginable um, to me. And, and it, you know, but also that, that I wanted there to be echoes, I think, in, in, in kind of each of their, their for lack of a better term, their storylines. And, and, and so you got the sense, a, stra- a strange kind of sense of, of constantly shifting back and forth between Oscar and Sebastian, but also, you know, as the reader goes through that back and forth, there, there's maybe this sense that, wow, like the two of them together create this kind of third character in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely loved like the actual like text differences with the long proses for Sebastian and then the more traditional style, or like you said, like more spiky, which I do, I, I think that is a perfect word for that. So I think it also matches Oscar's personality a bit too. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I just, I love that. And I think it's one of those tiny details that writers can do that it's there in front of you. So it's more tangible because obviously you're reading these characters, they're not in front of you. You can't see or hear their personalities or you know notice the actual differences between them but with the text I do love that that separation because like I said it's that tangible thing that readers can look at and go okay here's definite difference between the two of them that I can see yeah yeah and 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 the way I write is is I I have to know the structure of a book and the structure of a story before I can sit down to write it and so I think once I kind of had this once I knew that they were going to be two voices and they were going to be 
about two radically different people and written in, in, in two very radically different ways and they were gonna alternate. And this novel was gonna take place between the, the Supreme Court marriage ruling and the Pulse nightclub shooting, which were um, you know almost exactly a year apart from one another. I think once I kind of had that vessel, um, it was a lot easier for me to, to, to kind of pour the actual story and, and the actual writing into. Mm. Yeah, well, and since we're on Sebastian and Oscar, um, I have been thinking either Zach, you are an art historian um, <laughs> in your background in college, either you majored in art history, minored in literature or majored in literature and minored in art history. So please set the record straight. How did you get I, so invested in the art history storyline with made, um, Sebastian? Okay, hold on to that question because we'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, I majored in English and minored in, no, I was a double major in, in English and journalism. The art history stuff, um, it's, it's, it's very kind of you to, to think that I have some scholarly background in it, but, but the only thing I bring to it is just my own love of, of museums and, and reading about art and, and looking at it. Um, in hindsight, yeah, if I could go back, I would absolutely get a, a, a minor in, in art history. But yeah, that's that that was purely just inspired by the love that I share with Sebastian for for art and and, and museums. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love that interdi interdisciplinary humanities focus that you bring to Sebastian because um, he's able to teach art history. He can teach English. Um, <laughs> but now that you say you double majored majored in English and journalism, it all makes sense to me because you were kind of always traversing these different um, fields of yeah. humanities or just broadcasting entertainment. So you were always probably looking at different sources and reading a lot of different um, humanities works. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and I did dabble in journalism for a hot second. Um, so my kind of my nonfiction career is, is writing marketing copy. Um, but to be honest, the, the reason I didn't pursue a career in journalism is really just because I hate cold calling people. And I knew that if I was going to be a journalist, that was going to be the bulk of my day-to-day -day activity. And I just, uh, I just couldn't stand it. That's the nice thing about writing fiction is, is 95% of the time you don't have to talk to anyone. Um, except uh, us right now, which we appreciate. Well, because... <laughs> Talk about cold calling and podcasting, the podcasting metaverse. It's all cold calling. Well, it's getting comfortable yeah. with cold calling to start that business. Yeah. And then eventually you just develop a network. But that'll be for I, another I episode. I admire you two for doing it. It seemed it's just a superpower. Well, thank you. We'll take it. We'll take it. But um, I just to mention a few names because I was a history minor. Okay. Um, with an English major and a gender studies minor too. Um, but so when I heard Sebastian's career as an art historian, I just love the framing device you use, Zach, whether it be through literature with Oscar's narrative with Sean Stokes, or whether it be through Sebastian eyes, how you literally connect paintings, like whether it be Artemisia Genaleschi or Thomas Eakins, Amadeo Modigliani, Jackson Pollock, like you'll actually choose one painting and then somehow it spurs this childhood flashback. And I love that device. So yeah, can you speak more about that? Thanks, thanks. Those were honestly the, the, the most fun parts to write. And, and it's just a shame that I didn't think that an entire book could work that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew that, that Sebastian, you know, obviously someone who's, who's very entrenched in his memories um, and, and to me, it was just a stylistically different way of exploring, um, you know, 
how someone perceives their past and, and the idea of, of here's a guy who spends his life around paintings and around art. And surely, you know, when you look at art, right, like you're not just engaging with the piece itself, you're also engaging with what that piece brings out in you. Um, and so in Sebastian's case, it, it dredges up these memories. Um, and so throughout the book, every time he kind of comes into contact with, with works of art, like either flipping through one of his art catalogs or walking through a museum, um, they'll conjure these kind of very specific memories about, about his boyhood and, and about being gay and closeted, but also about his, his kind of tangled childhood relationship with, with Sebastian and, or excuse me, with Oscar. Um, and yeah, it just, I, I just stumbled on that. I, I think one day I just said, shit, I'm going to try this and, and, and do it for fun and, and see what that looks like. And and it just it it just it kept surviving through through different drafts. It felt like once I had done it, it just seemed to to make sense for that character. Um, and, and and in a similar way, you know, having these small excerpts from from Sean Stokes's books. I mean, that's personal to me in the sense that, you know, I I I kind of reached early adolescence before the internet. So this was my my first exposure to gay sex and, and gay life, I think was through books that I would, you know, find in the library. Um, and, 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 and so it was a way for me to, to kind of make another connection between art and, and kind of pieces of culture and, and, and how, you know, one can have a very personal relationship with, with that. Yeah. Yeah. And if I may, um, I really want to ask, because I love that you just brought that up. Um, about how you were finding your own identity, mm. your sexual identity through literature. Cause like, you know, everyone on the podcast and those I've interviewed, they know a lot of the times I've been lucky that I got, I get to interview my like mentors in a way, whether it be Alex Sanchez who wrote the Rainbow Boys series or um, Gregory Maguire's Wicked in a way is a queer <laughs> text, a little mm -hmm. different, but still. Um, yeah. And I think that, I came up like I'm about to turn 30 in September, which feels monumental, but you know, I'll, I'll, I like when people say that I'm 24 or 22. I'm, I'm going to turn 40 this summer. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Okay. Well, see, but we have a nice 10 year age gap there. Um, but so like I was coming up like Mary where I was absorbing literature to find my own you know, queer sexuality and finding myself as a gay adolescent. But mm -hmm. I was also coming up with the internet age. So like it was both at once. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, some of those illicit videos existed. Like nothing, well, nothing illegal, everyone. <laughs> I don't want like a FBI case to open. Oh, but, um, but you know, like porn had started yeah. as a genre. Yeah. I mean, it was always a genre, but. It was around it was more accessible. Exactly. I'm not going to talk too, too much about that because my parents listen, but, um, you know, so yeah, I think it's so interesting. I really want to know who do you still turn to or nostalgically remember as authors that you were really finding your identity in? Oh God. I thought you were going to ask me what kind of porn I watched. Oh, as totally <laughs> no, 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 no. It's this question. Why were you going to uh, answer? <laughs> Probably. It could be a late night ivory tower boiler room episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a question you should ask everyone. Um, you know, I uh, again, I think Edmund White. Um, you know, but uh, in, in a strange way, um, Anne Rice. I think a, a very kind of er text for me, oddly enough, was the Anne Rice novel called The Vampire Armand, um, which I think okay. came out in '96 or '97, and. It was a huge section um, in the early part of the book where the character is basically a, a teenage boy who's, you know, taken up by this older man and like is introduced to all these like sexual pleasures and, and has this very physical and, and emotional relationship with this, this older vampire. Um, and, and, and to me, that was just, I mean, that was the kind of book where I just kept going back and reading it and reading it and, and not, not even, you know, it's, 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 it's different because I didn't even have 
a conception of myself as a gay man until until probably well in my first year of grad school um, is when I is when I came out and, and and basically acknowledged myself. I think up until then I I just you know I was I was living under the uh, the I guess what you would not scientifically call the find the right girl syndrome, right? Like you're just waiting um, for someone to change you. Um, when the truth is that you're the one who has to change, um, and um, and 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 yeah, so so it would be passages here and there. It wouldn't even necessarily have to be um, gay authors, I think, or or I guess to put it another way, my early reading was purely about titillation and purely about sex. It was never about trying to make a connection between other people who who lived and thought about uh, about men the way that I did it was it was most certainly not about trying to to find a community it was it was basically just trying to to find something to get off to quite frankly um and it was only much later I think in in grad school um you know that I I, I joined the queer student union there and 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 you really kind of you you kind of meet other people and 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 you realize that 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 kind of community stage of of I don't know For, forget I said that but like just like find like finding a community I guess is what I'm trying to to mm -hmm. awkwardly say and 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 I've kind of described this novel um, in various places as, as less about coming out and and more about coming into one's community right like how do you figure out what you value or what kind of life you want to lead or 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 the people you admire and 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 why you admire them. Um, and, and, you know, not just what kind of gay man or what kind of queer person you're going to be, but what kind of human being do you want to be existing in the world? Um, and um, yeah, so that kind of development, I think, came came a lot later. And that's when I started to read with an eye, not a not just to sex, but but also to language. Right. And, and, and also to experiences that were markedly different than my own, but also trying to find some kind of empathy and some kind of commonality with them and, and and realizing through my reading of you know everyone from from god like uh andrew holleran to um to i don't know um the um, walt whitman and oscar wilde walt whitman oscar wilde andre gide um you know that just kind of understanding that one is part of like a a, a spectrum with with yeah. a past and a present and, and a future. And I think that that understanding, which I think both of the characters in these this book spend so much time trying to avoid, I think that's at, at the root of, for them and for these characters in this particular context, manhood, but I think for all of us, I think just adulthood, right? Is, mm. is you know, sometimes you are the future, sometimes you're the present, and then invariably you end up becoming the past. And it's it's just kind of, you know, unavoidable. It's a, it's a part of existing in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what I love about Let's Get Back to the Party is you present, I mean, right, you said, you said it in 2015 because of, right, the Oberfell decision, yeah. the Supreme Court decision with making same-sex marriage legal. Um, and we've seen backlash from that. Um, you know, hope crossing fingers, it stays. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then with the Pulse uh, nightclub shooting, that kind of reality of homophobia, I mean, homophobia is always present, but that reality of, you know, there are still people who are not accepting. And yeah. like, yeah, how was that trying to balance Right. Well, the celebratoryness with then tragedy. Well, I think you put it. You put it. You put it the best way possible. I. It, it's. It's a novel that starts with a moment of of kind of communal celebration and 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 ends with a moment of of communal tragedy. Um, and you know, maybe maybe that's kind of a a template for how life works right in in a strange way not just 
not just the lives of communities, but the lives of individuals, right? There are moments of, of, of kind of joy and love and celebration. And then there are, are moments of, of kind of pain and, and sadness and, and, and grief. And, and, and I think once I, it, there was just something uncanny about the fact that that happened almost a year apart from one another. Um, and and I, I think that's what drew me to setting the novel in, in this particular time um, and I think in a way I was kind of chastising myself and, and other people who, who I think, you know, and admittedly, this is a, a very kind of human idea to have, ha idea to have, even though it's probably very naive, like thinking, oh, well, gay marriage is here. Like it's over. We won. Like there's, you know, <laughs> there's nothing else to worry about. Um, you know, just like in 2008, like, wow, Barack Obama's president, like racism is over. You know, and, and, and I think these are very kind of exciting feelings to have in the moment, but history always has a way of proving us wrong, um, you know, as, as, as we can certainly see today. Um, and, and, and yeah, I think that kind of, that kind of reality that, that nothing good ever lasts forever, as kind of pessimistic as that sounds, um, was just very intriguing to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Going and back that I to, guess our... to, to borrow. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. You finish your thought. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, and then to you know, right to is it Tony Kushner? Right to borrow from him, like the great work begins, but the great work also never ends. I mm. think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really beautiful way of putting it. Actually, um, going back, I kind of want to go back to Sebastian just a little bit. Um, obviously, we see his differences with Oscar, not just you know philosophically if you will um but also physically we have oscar who is this you know white boy who's very skinny and then we have sebastian who is of mixed race um was that an intentional moment for you or was this i'm i'm not sure, like what brit talk us through that sorry i'm for my, <laughs> i had it perfect in my head and then i started speaking and it just whew, went away. Yeah, the, the, their physical differences are certainly a manifestation of, they're just one of many differences that these two characters have. Um, yeah, um, I would describe Oscar as, as very lanky, so not necessarily appealingly thin by, by kind of cultural standards. Um, and then Sebastian is, is, is brown-skinned and, and a little bit plump, you know, like, like his humble author. Um, but I, you know, I, I think, I, you know, look, I love a good Adonis story, I think as much as, as the next person. Um, but, but the reality of my experience, and I suspect the experiences of a majority of, of gay men, um, is that there are so many reasons to desire someone, even physically, I think, than just a body. And, and that's certainly something that I wanted to emphasize in this book that you can desire someone because of a shared past or because of, of, of a life they live um, or, or just kind of the, the way they float through the world. Um, you know, that there can be so many more different ways of desiring someone than just, you know, seeing someone being like, this guy's hot. Like I'm gonna spend the next 280 something pages pursuing him. Um, so there was there was that. I think that's that, that's my lofty intellectual answer. I think my 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 kind of personal answer is like I don't have that kind of body, and it's my fucking book. So you know, no one else will either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and like, um, again, like as Mary said, how she's trying to form it. I'm trying to form this question where um, I'm not like Zach. You just chose Sebastian. To like match your own identity, but like you kind of already took us there. Um, first of all, you look very handsome, Zach. Um, Thank you. Thank you know, you. you look very Thank handsome. I think you are aesthetically in a good place. So if that Thank means you. anything, I am the arbiter of aestheticness. No, <laughs> <laughs> I am now Plato. No, um, but you know, do you feel like too, if it's okay to say, as a gay man of color? You know, yeah. I'm not a gay man of color. I'm white, but so like I'm Oscar on the spectrum. I'm not as curmudgeon Mary can tell you as Oscar, but, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, but Zach, right. You know, do you describe yourself as, you know, a gay man of color? 
Yeah, I, I, I'm still constantly formulating my my ideas and, and, and opinions about, you know, uh, identity and, and the importance of identity for myself and, and, and for the way that other people perceive me and, and in my art. I, I mean, you know, the the a, a gay man of color is 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 an identity, right? And 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 technically, yes, I am. I am a gay man who is brown. Um, but again, I, I I just feel like my experiences have been are are just kind of yeah. I I I I, I don't know. I, I I can't say with any. And this sounds so strange because I wrote an entire book about identity, but I still can't say with any certainty like how I identify and if that's like ever a hurdle I can actually, you know, get over. I mean, it, it depends, like, depends on where I am. Sometimes when, when I'm at the airport, like I, I feel more like um, a person of color, like, you know, a brown guy than, than I do, you know, when I'm, I'm here in Washington DC and surrounded by, you know, so many other, um, so many other people of color. Um, you know, it, it, it just, yeah, it, it depends. And, and, and in a way, and I know that, you know, there were some readers who weren't happy that I did this, but setting up Sebastian as, as someone who's biracial, but not making his racial identity the focus of, of, of the narrative, that it could just be an aspect of, of his character and just exist in the world. And, and mm. I suppose somewhat selfishly, one reason I did that is because, you know, us mixed race people are, are are perfectly capable of of thinking about other things than than just our race, our racial identity, which is not to to denigrate it or to say that it's not important or or not even under attack, but just to say that we're capable of holding multiple thoughts in our mind. And 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 I knew that what I wanted the focus of Sebastian's kind of dilemma to be was about his relationship to his sexual identity mm. and, and a community of like-minded sexual people. Um, and um, yeah, did that, did that answer? Yeah, no, I think that's really mm -hmm. interesting because we've gotten to have the privilege of interviewing Robert Jones Jr. who wrote The Prophet. Yeah, yeah, And like yeah. what you're kind of getting to is like being a gay black man in America is a different experience, you know? Like yeah. it's a different, and I think too, Robert is commenting more on queer black male, queer black manhood, which right mm -hmm. yeah. is, a specific yeah. focus but like you're saying you're kind of looking more at Sebastian's relationship to his sexuality but also to Oscar and to love and there's a lot of meditations in this right mixture. right like I, I did not I the, the fact that I made Oscar white was not some kind of judgment on white gay men in the same way that the fact that I made Sebastian brown was not to say something complex about what it what it's like to be a gay man of color it just to me, and, and I stand by this, like it was just a part of them um, yeah. and, and, and that it could exist and that I didn't have to sacrifice my story to kind of explain away things, um, you know, that, that, that would, have, would, have, would have taken me away from, from the kind of narrative that I wanted to pursue. And, and look, this is the great thing about having so many voices and so many perspectives, right? Is this, is, you know, if, I, if, my, if my book isn't doing the job for you, then there are so many other books out there that, that, yeah. that can. But. Yeah, and you're all part of a community. And I think, you know, um, that, oh, it's gonna come to me. Um, but what I really like is that you bring in this commentary where, like you said it, about um, how some gay men thought, okay, we now have gay marriage. And I saw that. I mean, I yeah. was just entering my PhD program, but um, I saw like my fellow gay white male friends, mostly white, not always, but mm -hmm. kind of thought, okay, now we can go into our suburban lives and everything's great. And we have our hedges cleaned and trimmed and we're gonna have children. And which is wonderful because, you know, that's a choice that everyone should be able to have. Like, I want to have a child, but still there's so many more layers beyond that. But I thought it was so interesting that Oscar, I thought, oh, as a gay man, he's going to fall into this, but it's actually flipped. Like, so it's interesting that Sebastian is the one who's more optimistic and Oscar is more questioning about gay politics. Yeah. Oh, then, yeah, that's an interesting reading. I, I, yeah, I never really thought of it that way, that those kind of, 
those kind of expected drives and those expected desires are 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 kind of replaced. I, I think maybe I suspect it has to do with their character's upbringing, right? Like Oscar had a very terrible home life, so that would naturally, it seems to me, make one want to reject the kind of lifestyle that that Sebastian wants to emulate, having raised up been raised by by two very loving parents. Yeah, yeah. Well. Sadly, for our Pride Month book club, I don't know how this always happens, Mary. No. The time goes by so quickly. So we are near the end. So Mary, I'm going to give you your last question. And then I want to play just a quick, it's not a game, but I want to play a little quick round with Zach. So I'll, let, I'll, I'll keep him in suspense. But Mary, go ahead. This is like one of my favorite questions to ask author, just because as a writer, I feel this way. Um, which of the two or actually of any of the characters in your book, do you feel is most you hmm. or that you put most of your yourself into? Um, my, my, um, my, my kind of official answer is all of them. Um, but I think there is a lot about Sebastian that I gravitate to if only because he seems to have the mentality of a writer someone who lives in his own head for better or for worse um and who thinks a lot and and um yeah but I, but I, but you know i i do find all of them all of them endearing i think out of all of them i think the one that i have the most hope for is um is arthur the 17 year old student um he seems to be the one who i'm least worried about um but um yeah yeah. Well, was that, was, that, was that an officially like kind of dodgy, yeah. but also maybe not dodgy answer? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So for the final round, I, well, first I want to just read the quote that I love the best. And I think I will continue to carry, maybe not as my own philosophy, because that could get me in trouble, but <laughs> from Sean's novel that Oscar takes up as his mantra, I vow henceforth to live by cock alone. I mean, who wouldn't want to read a novel where this is constantly repeated? Um, but not that now <laughs> those you're friends with, you have this mantra towards them because that could be a little, you know, messy, literally. But um, I'm just curious because we've interviewed so many who love your book. I know that they have messaged me. They're so excited that we're interviewing you. Josh Sabera comes to my mind. Yeah. He loves your book. Um, oh. I mean, everyone loves your book. I love your book. Mary loves your book. Who cares no, about the critics? We don't many, need them right many here. People, many people. Many people. And that's all that matters. It's like, right, Mary, the majority give us such positive comments. Once in yes. a while, we get, actually, Once the trolling troll. comments we get are really hilarious, but we don't, we're not going to go there. <laughs> They're very funny. Um, and sometimes I actually become friends with them in the DMs, but, you know. Um, so... Josh Sabera, PJ Vernon, I'm trying to think, Celia Lasky. Mm -hmm. Oh no, Robert Jones Jr. <laughs> Who else have we had? Oh, Aaron Hamburger I've interviewed. If you're an LGBTQ author and I didn't mention you, I apologize. Um, but, oh, Alex Sanchez. But I think I'm bringing up a lot of them who are debut novelists. So that would be like Josh, Celia, P was PJ Vernon, was that? Bathhouse so. was a debut. I think so. Another novel set in DC. Yes, mm -hmm. there you go. DC and New York, kind of. And you right, also right. have a New York yeah. moment too with Sean. New York moment, yeah. Oh, and <laughs> Sebastian's conference. But yeah, so like, do you really feel that you are part of this renaissance of LGBTQ literature? Because I see it. I'm like, this is the moment. Like the 2020s is where LGBTQ literature, even though, yes, we know there's a lot of, backlash happening but look at this amazing renaissance of literature that's what keeps me going so on to you zach how do you process this wow i will i will um you know yeah i don't i just to be in the company i think of some of the names you threw out um is 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 enough i i, I can't speak for any kind of trends again like i said earlier history has a way of surprising people um, sometimes it feels like we're we're heading back to the uh, the 1800s, um, you know, if even that recently. Um, it it just it's 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 a great um, time for 
for readers, I think, and yeah. for writers who are interested in, in gay and queer fiction and nonfiction, certainly. Um, and that there's a market for it and that people want to read it. And, I, and that market, I think, has always been there. I think it's just there's more and more backing behind it now from publishing companies and and yeah. you know um, and the media who think that yeah this this these stories are worth telling and they're worth covering and they're worth sending out into the world so other people can can read them um, yeah it, it it you know to to be just an infinitesimally small part of that um, company um, is is. Is, is very overwhelming and very terrifying, but but also gives me a lot of gratitude. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Mike and Emma Rever, sorry. <laughs> yes. All the names now are starting to come to me. But um, <laughs> basically that's a shameless plug for all of you after you hear our, our let's get back to the party conversation with Zach, which has been wonderful to read everyone else's novels because it's Pride Month. And you yes. should read mm -hmm. this whole amazing community yes. of LGBTQ authors. So I think, yeah, we hit everything. Zach, this has been a wonderful Pride Month mm -hmm. book club interview with you. Um, Mary, thank you for joining. Um, of course. Also, thank you to the Fulton Stall Market, where I am mm -hmm. right now in Manhattan, and um, where I get to be the curator of the Whitman Initiative Library. Okay, so. I think we acknowledged everyone. I hope everyone enjoyed this interview. Zach, will we get to have you back on in a few years with another uh, work? From your lips to God's ears, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. But um, in the meantime, this was so pleasant. Thank you to the both of you. Um, just a really fun conversation. And, and, and thanks to everyone who's listening and, and happy pride and happy reading. Yes. And yeah. And maybe we'll Don't see forget you. To get, let's back to the party. Yes, get let's back to the <laughs> get let's get back to the party. And yes. um also shout out, oh, shout out because I listened to the audiobook, which is wonderful. We've interviewed Michael Crouch, he's wonderful. And I want to say Will Damron. Yeah, uh-huh. It's Michael Good. and Will who and who I like Will's book. reading too. So yeah. Oh, fantastic. Get your ears going or get your eyes going. Do a combination of both. Happy Pride, everyone. And thank you, Zach. We can't wait to have you back on again. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye, audience. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia. Welcome to our summer season. We made it to summer 2022. I am here with Mary DePippi. Hi, Mary. Hello. I'm Andrew Rimby, the executive director. Mary DePippi is our chief contributor. Uh, Nicole Arguello is our marketing assistant and Kimberly Dallas is our editor. So yay, our interns have positions. Okay. Yay. Um, please, please follow us on social media. We, Mary posts so many creative things on her true crime and academia. How can they follow true crime, Mary? At true crime and academia on Instagram and TikTok. Okay. And then you can follow the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room and at Ivory Tower Boiler Room on, ready? Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Okay. And you can email us. Um, we love to get pitched some episode ideas. So to do that, if you're a publicist out there, maybe you want to get one of your authors on our show, go to Ivory Tower Boiler Room at gmail.com. Uh, thank you to our audience, to our listeners. We're really excited because we have a lot going on on our Patreon. So Mary, do you want to maybe update everyone on our Patreon account? Yes. So aside from the content that we've already been giving you, we will also be having extra special episodes. Um, specifically for true crime, I will be having an extra bonus episode every month starting in June. <gasps> yeah. You can and the only same get yes. that if you are a subscriber. Yes. So patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. That's it. Just slash ivory tower boiler room. And we already have a lot of bonus material. First, there is a full episode um, with Ursula Klein in our book corner. So you're going to see all of these new special series that are going to pop up in the summer on ivory tower boiler room. Yes, Mary will do it too on true crime and academia. You can listen to a teaser on our podcast, but guess where the whole interview is? On our Patreon. So only a cup, 
not a cup, but a large cup of iced coffee um, at any of our favorite coffee companies, um, you only have to pay $5 a month. So please join. We will recognize all of you who join. We'll shout you out during the summer. Um, you can see our video interviews too. And if you want to become an ivory tower, $15 a month, three cups of iced coffee, uh, member, you actually will get our tote bag, our t-shirt. Um, there's more, there's more. Oh, our mug. Cup. I'm drinking from our mug. <laughs> I should, <laughs> for everyone who will see this, I'm actually holding it up. It's a very cool mug. So we are so excited for all of you to join us this summer. I love hearing from all of you. I know Mary loves hearing from all of you. Direct mm -hmm. message us, we read them. And yeah, check out our social media because we post so many clips from the shows. And I started to kind of finesse my way around TikTok. So Mary sees mm -hmm. how excited I get when I know how to add music and all these filters. <laughs> so um, on that note, um, please, please join us for our Instagram events this summer. We have a monthly book club every month. We have our book club and we're going to start having television recaps. Um, we're going to have another open mic poetry event at Pen and Brush. So stay tuned. I think we might have a Halloween party, but just someone told me that. Okay. A little birdie. A little birdie. Okay. I think we got it all, Mary. So I think so. On that note, let's put a bookmark in this. Yep. Bye, everyone.